This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, yes! Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. Huge summer series episode for you today. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me as always is Brian Com. Hey, Elon, I feel like we can maybe move on from the summer series. Are we in the preseason series yet? Tell me, tell me we're in the preseason series. <laughs> you know what? I think there's an argument to be made that we're in the preseason series because we're going to talk today about the draft rankings that just came out on Yahoo, but there's draft rankings that are coming out from all of the platforms. ESPN dropped theirs just recently also, along with projections. So it is the preseason. Like, the fantasy platforms are ready. We're looking at where they are ranking players. And in this episode, we're going to discuss what we think about those rankings, which players we think that are ranked a bit too high and you might want to avoid in your draft, and which ones are ranked pretty low and you might be able to steal a little bit later than maybe you should be able to. That's the plan for today. Brian, we got a lot of players to talk about. Yeah, you and I have both combed through these rankings. It's one of those, you know, preseason rites of passage to go through and pick out your sleepers and pick out the guys who are going to sit at the top of everybody's draft list until they're inevitably auto-drafted by somebody who didn't show up. So why don't we share the fruits of our research with the listeners? Yeah, exactly. So just to set the table here a little bit. So we used Yahoo for this particular episode. You could do the same thing with ESPN. And basically, it's important to use their draft rankings, even though you've got your own awesome projections. You don't care what Yahoo thinks. But the reason why you care is because the other people in your draft might be using the rankings to inform their picks. Like some people, I know it's crazy to think about it, but some people might go into their draft and sort of just use the suggestions that Yahoo provides them as the basis of how they're going to decide. Like, oh, I actually like this guy a little bit more than this guy. But you know, if someone is really high up on Yahoo, they're not going to be able to resist letting the player go for too long once people that are like 10, 20 slots under them have all been taken. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to see who are the people who just don't seem to fit where they have been placed, and then we'll be able, as smart drafters, to take advantage. Brian, how about we just go back and forth? Each of us could name a player one at a time and say if we think they're too high, too low. The other one could comment. I'm excited. I got a guy ready to go. Are you ready? Yeah, bring it on. Who's the first guy that you think is out of place in the Yahoo rankings? All right. The guy that I'm going to start with is Kyle Ocposo, ranked 96th overall in the Yahoo rankings, which means if you're in a 12-team league, he's going to get drafted in the eighth round if everyone auto-drafts. And I think that's way too low. I mean, Kyle Ocposo is a 
fantasy stud, or at least a potential fantasy stud. Obviously, I want to get your thoughts, Brian, but let's just take a look at the numbers here. Two seasons ago, when Ocposo first got on that line with John Tavares, you know, top line on the Islanders, he put up 69 points in 71 games, almost a point per game before he got injured. Then last season, he was also on fire. He had 51 points in 60 games overall. But if you look at the splits before he got injured, partway through the season, he had 11 points in 10 games in October, 10 points in 14 games in November, 11 and 13 in December, 12 and 9 in January, and then he got injured. But he was basically a point-per-game guy. He had 44 points in 46 games before the All-Star break. Then he got injured. He only played in 14 games at the end of the year, and he had 7 points in 14 games. So he did let a lot of fantasy owners down, you know, right in that core part in the fantasy hockey playoffs. And maybe that's why he's ranked low. Maybe that's why some people are not thinking so highly of him, because their last memories of him are of him sucking. But if he's going to be on the top line on the Islanders, and I don't see why he won't, I don't see why he's not going to put up near point-per-game numbers like he did for the past couple of seasons. Like, okay, call me crazy then, maybe point-per-game is too high. Can he get 65? Can he get 70? I think that definitely would put him higher than guys above him on the Yahoo rankings. Like, above him are guys like Chris Kreider, TJ Oshie, Thomas Tatar. Give me Ocposo over all those guys. Elon, I totally agree with you. And when you first mentioned it to me, my mind just rushed to think, like, what did Kyle Ocposo do to deserve that? I can't figure out exactly what he did wrong when I'm looking through his numbers. So, Elon, I wonder... If what you mentioned about, you know, that last run after he came back from injury and was a half point per game guy during such a crucial point of the season. Okay, yeah, I could see a bad taste being left in people's mouths from that. I also find that Yahoo tends to really penalize players for having missed parts of the year. So I think those 20 games missed probably factored into whatever equation they used to come up with their pre-draft rankings. But as I look deeper than games missed, I really don't see a reason for Okposo to be ranked 96th overall. And of course, that includes defensemen and goalies. So that would actually probably rank him as the 70th or 80th best forward, according to Yahoo's rankings. And I think that is way too low for just looking at where he should be drafted in terms of his status amongst other forwards in the league. If you look at his stats, I think he's a top 50 guy over the last couple of years no question. You could even argue maybe 40. But if you're getting him in the eighth round in a 12-team league, that is a steal. He went a lot earlier in drafts last year. And really, I don't see any reason for his position to have slipped between then and now. Last year, in 11 fewer games than he played two years before, he actually matched his shot total from two years before, which is fantastic. He had 195 shots in 60 games, which is a fantastic total. And he also had his highest count of power play points in a shortened season last year than he had registered since his third year in the league. So without a question, Kalik Poso is not in decline unless Yahoo knows something about his place on the depth chart being in danger that we don't know, then I am certain that they've got it wrong. And he is a guy that you can hope everybody glosses over and says, oh, well, maybe Yahoo got it right. I guess I trust them in putting him that low. You can jump on that, take advantage, and draft Ocposo where he belongs within, you know, the top 45 forwards or so. All right. And of course, as you're listening to this episode, let us know if you agree or disagree with any of our assessments. Tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. You know, as the season approaches, we're more and more curious to know what people think about the things we're saying. We want to make sure we're on point and not missing something. But okay, that's Ocposo. That was my first guy. Brian, why don't you 
throw out a player who you think is ranked way too low on Yahoo rankings. Well, Elon, you started with a guy who you thought was underrated around the top of the table. I'm going to go all the way down to the bottom feeders in this year's pre-draft rankings and look at number 617 on the list. Toivu Teravainen is all the way down there. Wow, that's surprising. After that impressive playoffs that he had, you'd think he could at least crack the top 500. Yeah, well, your draft would need to go about 51 rounds for him to be drafted all the way down where he is in 12-team league. And yeah, he did have a good playoffs. But I guess if you do look at his regular season numbers, they are underwhelming. He had nine points in 34 games played, didn't even manage to average two shots per game, only one power play point in all that time. And I know there was a huge rush for people to add him when they heard he was getting called up just before the all-star break. And everyone thought he was their diamond in the rough then, but Chicago had different plans for him. They were sort of slowly working him into the lineup. His ice time fluctuated quite a bit. His responsibilities shifted a lot, and he wasn't really given a lot of prime scoring time. But when he did get that time, he took full advantage and was able to show those little flashes of brilliance, which is why I think now is a more appropriate time for him to be a sleeper than, say, eight months ago in late January, early February. The main thing he's got going for him is that he's like the de facto first line left winger unless the Blackhawks want to go with Brian Bickle or Chris Versteeg instead but you know I just don't see it really going that way so he gets to play with Taves as a centerman right wing TBD but it doesn't really matter if you're on the first line in Chicago good things are probably going to come to you in the form of lots of ice time hopefully he'll be able to work his way on the power play There really aren't a ton of guys on the depth chart in Chicago for him to rise above. And I think it's a really ideal situation for him. I'm not saying bump him up into like your top 100 forwards or so, but this is a guy that you can kind of surprise everybody when you're digging through, you know, 50 or 55 point players whose upside is about 50 or 55 points. You can dig deep down the rankings pull up Tara Vinen, and get a guy who I think is going to break 50 points for sure, but has upside to go further beyond that than your regular, you know, sort of journeyman, half point per game veteran in the NHL. Yeah, and you know, what you say about the depth chart is definitely true. You know, last year, he struggled to get in the top six because there were guys like Patrick Sharp and Brandon Saad ahead of him on the depth chart on the left side. They're no longer there. That makes Tara Vinen definitely worth more than the 50th round pick or whatever that would work out to be. I think he's an interesting guy that you should be not leaving undrafted. But hey, speaking of Chicago left wingers, how about I will see your Toivo Tara Vinen... And I'm going to raise you an Artemi Panarin. And the patrons know I'm a bit excited about Panarin. And I don't really know why. He's just a cool guy that I think also might be worth more than where he's ranked. You might not even know who he is. And I don't think Yahoo does either because they have Panarin even lower than Teravainen at 712th overall. So basically just at the bottom with all of the guys who haven't played in the NHL yet. But yeah. This is what I know about Panarin. He's new to the NHL, but he played in the KHL last year and did pretty darn good. He had 62 points in 54 games with the SKA St. Petersburg team over there. And the noteworthy thing that I've been hearing people say about him is that a guy named Ilya Kovalchuk was on the same team 
and didn't get as many points. And if the guy is more valuable than Kovalchuk, at least points-wise in the KHL, does that mean he could be just as valuable or more than Kovalchuk in the NHL when he was there? And that would, of course, be unbelievable. Of course, that's a lot of hearsay, but he's also left-winger, and we were just covering how we think Chicago's left wing might be a little shallow, so maybe he'll have an opportunity to break the top six, and maybe something cool could happen there. Well, hang on, Elon. Let's rewind just a little bit. You started off your talk about Artemi Panarin saying, I don't really know who this guy is. And I feel like a lot of people are just moving way past that, like not letting that get in their way at all. I don't know who this guy is, but hey, Chicago Blackhawks, really exciting potential, I hear. So I might as well go for the guy. And while 712th is definitely way too low, I actually wonder if he's going to end up being a touch overrated in some drafts based on the hype that has really gone unchecked, I think, because there just isn't a huge sample to go off of. We don't know exactly what he's capable of based on a couple good seasons in the KHL. I think the key word here, though, Elon, is what you were getting at at the end of your little spiel saying top six opportunity and the word opportunity is really what you're banking on if you are thinking of drafting Artemi Panarin. He is in a good spot to succeed, but let's lay it out on the table right now. What do we know about the guy? We know he's small, we know he's skilled, and he's a great young forward prospect. And I actually reached out on Twitter for more info on the guy, and aside from a couple jokes, including that his name is fun to say... Which is true, but maybe doesn't help his draft status. I got a couple good responses from Et Locks the Fox, who is a KHL writer, and they mentioned that Penrin's great offensive year came alongside Vadim Shipyachev, who is actually one of the KHL's top playmakers. So he did have some help along the way in getting all those points. They also mentioned that he's not such a flashy guy, that he knows where he needs to be to make a play or to take a pass that leads to a scoring chance, which are good things to hear, but it still doesn't give us much of an idea of how successful he's going to be in Chicago in 2015-16. The possibility that he's starting on a line with Anisimov and Hosa is a good thing, but I'm just going to remind everybody about what I just said about Teravainen, which is that everybody rushed to pick him up a little sooner than maybe they should have. There was too much excitement building up, and I think people might have dropped some players that would have helped their team a lot more down the stretch to get Teravainen. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer about the whole thing or anything, but I'm just saying, like, the guy hasn't played a game. And in June, there was talk about him spending time in the AHL. Very little has happened since then, although I guess the departure of Patrick Sharp. And now it's like he's guaranteed to make the team out of camp. He definitely wouldn't be within my top 100 forwards. I think that might go without saying. You might agree, Elon. He might be within my top 150 Because for me, I draft more on a player's record than I do on upside, which has admittedly burned me in the past, but there's just not a ton for me to go on here, and so I won't be taking him until it's time for the real deep sleepers towards the end of the draft. I have a question for you, Elon. We've already established that Teravainen should probably go before him, but what about the other talented young forward prospect in that Chicago squad this year, Marco Dano? Where do you fit Panarin alongside him? Do you draft him before or after you consider drafting Dano? Ooh, okay, good question. It's the Blackhawks podcast today all of a sudden. But I think it's worth it because he's another guy. Let's just take a look at his ranking. 214. So compared to Tara Vinen and Panarin, yeah, who thinks he's an all-star? But still, obviously, that's pretty low. And I would say 
Marco Dan. Honestly, Brian, I don't know. Like Marco Dano also has a very small sample size in his career. He played in his first season last year, 35 games. He had 21 points, really turned it on at the end of the year. I guess if you look at the Chicago death chart, Dano is a center, which means he'll be behind Jonathan Taves for sure. And then it's curious to see if he'll maybe get ahead of Artem Anisimov, who's another newcomer who came in the Brandon Saad trade. It's hard to say. I guess I would want Panarin. That's <laughs> what my gut's telling me right now, but I really don't know. I think this is where you are definitely the guy to ask here because there's really nothing for me to go on here except for I just remember Dano was really exciting near the end of last season. I mean, the one thing we had to go on from Dano is that he did see that success towards the end of the year with Columbus and he did look like an NHL forward in the process. We just don't have that much to say about Panarin at this point. I feel for me, it's probably about even if your draft is that deep that you get to these guys. I don't think you're going to like this, but I might lean towards Dano. Just I really liked him down the stretch last year. He helped me in my own playoff run, so maybe there's a bit of allegiance there. But Panarin is definitely the very flashy, exciting, what can he do, sky's the limit kind of guy. Yeah, and along with Teravainen, who I think falls into a similar category, you think Teravainen has even more upside. It'll be interesting. We'll see how dumb we look midway through the season when we see how uh, Tara Vine and Panarin and Dano shake out over in Chicago. Brian, let's go to the other side now. Let's now talk about a guy who I think is ranked way too high on the Yahoo rankings. And I think you'd be crazy to draft him in like the fourth round where he's projected at. I want to talk about James Van Riemsdyk. Yahoo has him at 45th overall not 45th forward right like 45th overall player he's ahead of guys like Gabriel Landeskog Nicholas Backstrom that's crazy I think Backstrom's ranked maybe too low at 54 Blake Wheeler's at 56 like you've got some real studs and then you have James Van Riemsdyk who yeah has been pretty good maybe even you could say he's been a stud in the past I mean he had 61 points two years ago with the Leafs and then last year he had 56 points both in full seasons but the Leafs are going to be so bad bad this year. I can't imagine Van Riemsdyk is going to do better than he did a couple of years ago when he had 61 points. Maybe he's like a 50, 55 point guy, you know, 30 goals, 25 assists. I think that would be a good year for him. He takes a lot of shots. So definitely you get that. If your league counts shots, that's a bonus for him. But I think 45th overall is way too high and you should let someone else draft him there. I agree. Let somebody else draft this guy unless he falls for several consecutive rounds. I like James Van Riemsdyk as a player. I always have, even back in his Philly days. But just take a second to think, how many points do you think Toronto's leading scorer is going to get this year? I'm thinking like looking back at the recent Nashville teams, except for the last year's, the ones before that, or last year's Florida team, where the best player scored like 55 points, 54 points. If you're looking at the Panthers, that was Huberto's point total that he led the team with. So like 55 is like your starting point in Toronto. That's what the best player is going to get. So how can you draft somebody who might be limited to 55, maybe 60 points? How can you draft them within like the top 35, 40 forwards in your draft? You'd be making a big mistake. And it goes without saying that James Van Riemsdyk is going to have a harder time scoring points this year because Phil Kessel is not playing on a line with him. If we look back at his even strength numbers from last season, he only scored nine points when he was on the ice without Kessel. Mind you, he spent a lot less time on the ice without Kessel than he did with Kessel. And with Kessel, he was able to score 20 points. 
But the point I'm trying to make is that he was playing with somebody very talented, was not bounced around the lineup too much, and might be left wanting this season for an offensive partner in crime. Best case scenario for him is that he does get to play alongside Nazem Kadri for most of the season and that things go reasonably well. But again, I can't see him getting to a point where he's able to score enough points to justify taking him above all those other guys that you just mentioned, Elon. Yeah, and also what I said about him helping you out in shots on goal, the opposite can be said about plus minus. He was minus 33 last year, and there's not a strong reason to believe he won't be around the same. Okay, let's not beat the dead horse. Brian, do you have a guy who you think is ranked too high that you want to mention now? Yeah, let's look at Chris Kreider, who's ranked 86th overall on Yahoo. So that would put him probably within the top 65, 70 forwards. Ahead of Kyle Poso. Ahead of Kyle Poso and several other players that have a really great pedigree and are still in good situations. Let me just rhyme off a few names. Like Brian Little, Eric Stahl, Jason Spezza, Marion Hossa, Andre Palat, Gustav Nyquist. I don't know how Kreider finds himself above these guys. And now we get into the sort of conversation where is he overrated or are these guys underrated or it's a mix? Honestly, I feel like those guys might be around where they belong. The only thing that makes me think they're underrated on that list especially is that they're below Chris Kreider, who has really been a half-point-per-game guy over the course of his career. And I feel at this point that ranking might be coming off pedigree, which is a strange thing, especially for a player who's played two full seasons in the league and part of another on top of that. He just hasn't done very much with the opportunity he's been given. He's been a top-six guy in New York. He plays with Derek Stepan. And he still does not do a whole lot that's fantasy relevant. And he doesn't even get power play time. He had two power play goals last year, which tied his power play point total from the year before. So I don't really know what the justification is, what the argument here is for Kreider to be drafted that high. Elon, do you understand exactly why somebody who has a career high of 53 points should be considered amongst like the top 60 forwards in the league? I'm trying to do some sleuthing for you here, Brian. And like, I don't see it either. He had 46 points in 80 games last year. When I look at his splits, it's not as if he heated up at the end of the year. You know, reverse Ocposo. Like he only had 22 points in 38 games after the All-Star game. You know, I'm not going to say he's not a fantasy-relevant guy. If he's available at the end of my draft, I think I'll grab him because he's in a good situation in New York. And there's an extra spot maybe available on the power play with Martin St. Louis retiring. But yeah, no disagreements here. Definitely do not draft Kreider above those other guys you mentioned. I mean, like, if you're in a league with plus-minus, okay, he's been a plus-38 combined over the last two seasons, picks up a few penalty minutes every now and then, and throws a couple hits a game, so maybe his value is there in the peripheral stats, but at that point in the draft, you should be focusing on point production because those peripherals are easier to replace through free agency than actual points. And hey, Brian, since you're talking about Kreider and you mentioned that he played with Stepan... You know, Derek Stepan is actually ranked lower than Chris Kreider on the list. In fact, Stepan's all the way down at 122. And for a first-line center, maybe you could say arguably challenging for first-line with Derek Broussard, but still a top-line or second-line guy on New York, and a guy who had, like, a really great season last year, I think that Stepan is probably too low. Like, last season, he had 
55 points in 68 games. Remember, he was injured at the start of the season. But that 55 points in 68 games, that's a 66-point pace if he plays the full season. The year before, he had 57 points, so it's an improvement. The year before that, in the lockout-shortened season, he had 44 points in 48 games. So he's been close to a point per game before. You know, 66-point pace last season, like I said. I think that probably puts him at least in the top 100. And definitely, I think that puts him ahead of Chris Kreider. Like, I'd definitely rather have Stepan than Kreider. Absolutely. If we're talking about Kyle Lukposo as a top 50 forward, then Derek Stepan should be there too. He's been consistently productive. If you look at his raid stats, he's actually right side by side with Ukposo and Anz Kopitar and Daniel Sedin over the last few years. And I remember Elon going into last season when he was injured at the start. A lot of people were leaving him at their drafts and in free agency they're like I don't want to draft this guy I don't know when he's going to play and like one of our favorite pieces of advice to give out on the show was get Derek Stepan way before where he's ranked in your draft you won't regret it and he's going to help you down the road and I feel like Yahoo hasn't really totally corrected that and we can say it for at least one more season draft Derek Stepan ahead of where he is ranked by default. Yeah, and I guess we could throw a couple other players now onto that list of players you might want to draft earlier because they're injured. And keep in mind, when a player's injured at the beginning of the season, yeah, it kind of sucks at the beginning when you end up having to put him on the IR and then take someone from waivers that, you know, didn't get drafted to take his spot. But if you're in a head-to-head league and you're confident that you could make the fantasy playoffs, you're going to have that injured guy back. Like, Stepan was back for the fantasy playoffs last year and did really well. Like, he had five points in six games in April, right? You know, at crunch time. So maybe some guys that you want to look at this year who are injured. I know right now Pavel Datsyuk is injured. Nicholas Backstrom might not play at the start of the year. Yori Lettera. These might be guys that you can draft, throw on your IR, and then have them for when you need it. That's not really about overrated or underrated, but I wanted to throw those names out there. You just mentioned Backstrom, so I'm just going to jump in here for a second. Hot Off the Press is posted on the day that we're recording this, which is actually a few days before it'll be released this time around. Nicholas Backstrom said in an interview with his hometown newspaper, and I quote, I don't know if I will be able to play right away when the season starts. And I'll credit hockeyramblings.wordpress.com with that scoop. But Elon, like you said, that would not deter me. In fact, that makes me really excited because other people might look past him and the other players you mentioned. I feel like those guys, those elite players who are going to miss like maybe even if they miss two months, like you can tough that out if you are handling the rest of your team well. It doesn't matter if you go into the playoffs like ranked sixth or eighth or whatever. If you have these guys when the time comes because you went out a little bit on a limb in the draft and hurt yourself for the first couple months of the season, you'll be happy that you went out and did that. Definitely. Okay, so let's get back on track here. Brian, throw us another name of a guy who you think is ranked way too low. All right, how about we shift focus to defensemen for a minute here. Tori Krug, he's ranked 124th overall in these Yahoo rankings And I just don't know if his value to your team is that low. That would put him just around the top 25 defensemen. But when you consider what he brings to the table and how there aren't really a ton of other defensemen available like him, you might consider wanting to draft him a little bit earlier than Yahoo suggests. Krug is a guy that if he isn't already inside your list of top 25 fantasy defensemen, you need to fix your list. If you're still waiting on him, I feel like you shouldn't be. Last year, to me, was his show-me year when he put up that great 40-point rookie year, and then he was able to essentially repeat that feat 
in his 39-point sophomore campaign. And in that second year, he actually improved his shot on goal totals, and that helped compensate for a reasonably expected drop in his shooting percentage. So he was less successful with the shots he was taking, but he was shooting at a higher rate, so that helped cover up the difference. Speaking of his shot count, by the way, and this might surprise you, Last year, he was the NHL's league-leading blue liner in shots per 60 minutes in all situations. That's five-on-five and power play and penalty kill for what that's worth. He was ahead of even those guys who split time at forward and defense like Brett Burns and Dustin Bufflin. His five-on-five and power play time on ice have both risen in consecutive seasons, and with Dougie Hamilton gone to Calgary, we can only expect his role to increase on a relatively thin Boston blue line. You're safe to slot him in around your second or third tier, whichever one has the likely 40-point guys who can be counted on to contribute in at least one other non-scoring category, that category being shots on goal. Yahoo has him ranked beneath Dennis Weidman and Ryan McDonough, I would feel pretty good about taking Krug ahead of those guys. Depends on the rest of your league's categories, but I think in most leagues, that's going to be what you want to do. Yeah, and also you have to keep in mind that last year he was kind of behind Dougie Hamilton. Like, Dougie Hamilton was the real young defense star on Boston, and Krug, maybe to a lot of people, was an afterthought. Obviously, Boston thinks pretty highly of Krug if they were willing to let Hamilton go. So I don't see any reason why Krug can't at least do what he did last year and probably even a bit better. Likewise, Elon, I think he's ready to take on this role and that he was kind of forgotten behind Sharon Hamilton. He was just that other guy getting 40 points. The one thing that could go wrong for him this season is an increased defensive workload and how that might affect his offensive ability. If he has to shoulder too much of a burden, too much responsibility, that could hurt his point totals. But for me, from what I've seen, I'm really happy with it. And he's going to put up a lot of power play points to boot. He's going to have that opportunity there. I think the good definitely outweighs the bad in his case. Yeah, if you could especially get Tori Krug as like your third fantasy defenseman on your team, then you're doing very well. That means you have pretty stacked defense, I think. Yeah, maybe a low-end number one defenseman, but definitely a very good number two defenseman and a very, very good number three defenseman if that's how it shakes out for your team. Yeah, and I actually really like the draft strategy of maybe grabbing some defensemen a bit high just because it's so hard to find good defensemen in free agency while there always seems to be some good forwards. But that's for another podcast. That's for a draft strategy episode. We did one actually last year if you want to go back into the archives. Okay, Brian, here's a guy that I think maybe we'll finally not 100% agree on. So this is a guy who I think is pretty good and I think maybe poised to have a breakout season. And so I think I would draft him higher than where he's ranked, but I'm curious to see if you'll agree. I want to talk about Nick Bjugstad. He's ranked down at 144, and I guess I could see why. Like, he only had 43 points in 72 games last year, which would be a 49-point pace if he played a full season. So, you know, not amazing, but, you know, it was only his second full NHL season. And one thing I always liked about Bjugstad is he took, like, a lot of shots on goal in a league that counts shots. He was really viable. He had 207 shots last year in only those 72 games. And I just feel like his role on Florida is going to just become more important as he matures into his, you know, guaranteed top six role in Florida. I think it's pretty much for sure. He's probably going to get a lot of power play time. I think Bjugstad is going to break the 50 point mark this year if he could play the full season, maybe even 55. So I'd say I'd slot him in as a sleeper who I might try to grab a little bit higher than where he's ranked on Yahoo. Not a crazy place for Yahoo to put him, but I think it's still a little bit too low. What do you think? Yeah, 144th overall would probably put him within like the top 100 forwards in the league. And I feel like this might be a case actually, Elon, where the Yahoo rankings sobered me up 
a little bit. You and I have been huge boosters of Bugstad on the show. We've really liked him over the last couple seasons as a guy who you can get late in the draft in a deep league or in free agency that can contribute fairly regularly to your lineup when you need him if there's been an injury or whatever. A good depth guy to have on your team. But then I took a look at his road numbers and saw that Bjorkstad, or Juggs, as he's known by his friends, he wasn't even on a 50-point pace last year when he registered his career-high 43 points. So, is he worth considering above the spot that he's been given by Yahoo? Well, let's take a look. For starters, he played last season with Huberto, Hayes, and Jokinen as his most frequent line mates, and as you might expect, he grabbed the lion's share of his even-strength points while he was playing with Huberto. This year, he's likely got two shiny new line mates in Brandon Peary and Riley Smith, who are hopefully upgrades over Hayes and Jokinen and likely equals at worst. But the fact that he is stuck behind Alex Barkov on the Panthers' depth chart means that that might be as good as it gets for him for talent to play with until the Panthers add better quality players or develop some in their system. Maybe Peary and Smith are those guys? We'll have to wait and see, but there is sort of a limit on what he's going to be able to do with those line mates. But the good thing going for Bjorkstad is that he is well entrenched in Florida's top six. I don't think his spot as the number two center is at all in jeopardy. And from that spot, he's still one of the team's top point producers, scoring chance creators, and passers. And Litterbox Cats, the SP Nation blog for the Panthers, had some really good stuff on him this offseason if you really want to get into it and see where his value lies as a player on the ice in real hockey, not necessarily fantasy. But we're looking at fantasy, and the trouble with him is that while he picks up points as a top six player, he possesses the puck with the success of a third-line player, which is to say he needs to be better there. He needs to have the puck more often when he's on the ice. So is this the year that he breaks 50 points? Let's hope so. And 55 isn't out of the question either, especially if Florida does keep improving. He's definitely got the pedigree and the talent to do it just from watching the guy. You can see it. And I can't imagine that this 45-point level is where he, like, plateaus and remains for the length of his career. But 55 points is probably the highest ceiling I'd feel comfortable with for this year when you're thinking of drafting Bjorkstad. Keep in mind what I said about Huberto earlier in the show. He led the Panthers last year with 54 points. So, you know, we talk about Bjorkstad as maybe being underrated, but I actually think he might be ranked too high because he is within, arguably, the top 100 forwards, depending on how you're interpreting the list. And there are enough guys ranked lower, like Anders Lee and Miko Koivu and Brendan Gallagher, Ryan O'Reilly, Mike Hoffman, and Jason Pominville, that you could bump up and, in turn, push him out of that top 100 group on draft day. All right, yes, some sobering news about Nick Bjugstad, who... You know, I was kind of thinking, I don't know what it is about him, that his numbers, when you look at them, aren't that great. But for some reason, he seemed like such a great guy to own when I had him last year. Maybe he just sort of got me points when they mattered in my matchups. And so I remembered, I'm not sure what it was, but he seemed really great. I still kind of like Bjugstad, and I really hope that he's going to break out next season. But that's pretty fair, Brian. So let's at least say that he's not underrated, which is maybe what I was saying going into this episode. You bring up another guy who you said is ahead of him, Alex Barkov. 
And for a guy ahead of Bjorkstad in the depth chart, he's definitely well below him in the Yahoo rankings. Barkov is down at 197, and I guess you could see why. He only had 36 points in 71 games last year. But if he's going to be a top-line guy or maybe on the top power play, I guess he takes a lot fewer shots than Bjorkstad. But I do recall Barkov really heating up at the end of last season. I wonder if he'll also be able to improve. 197 seems pretty low, but I guess that's probably where he belongs near the end of the draft. You know, I'm not sure I agree with you, Elon. Like, that point total, again, is sobering. 36 points is not anything to get excited about. But 15 points in his last 20 games down the stretch, especially during that super important fantasy hockey time, is really exciting. And I feel like that's going to carry over into next season. This is a guy who's young. He's only getting better. And he gets to play with the other best player on the team, is Jonathan Huberdeau. And maybe Yarmir Yager through the season, which is also an exciting prospect. Now, he did ride pretty ridiculous shooting percentages during that hot streak I just mentioned. So you can't expect that to go on all season. On the flip side, he had abysmal shooting percentages at the start of the season. So you can't expect him to slump like that very often. Anyway, all that shooting percentage stuff kind of came out in the wash. I think he's going to possibly lead the Panthers in scoring this year. There's my fearless prediction. It's not terribly out there, but there it is. I'm going for it. I like Barkov a lot. Definitely above Bjugstad, although Elon, like you said, like you were saying, why do we think so highly of Bjugstad? I think it's because he is like the far and away most prominent shot taker who's available as a free agent in most fantasy leagues. And when you see somebody who's that far separated from the rest of the free agent pool in any stat, it's kind of easy to get excited about him. So I think that's where we got it from. Okay, well, Brian, I'll take that bet. I think Bjugstad will do better than Barkov. So that'll be a fun thing to track over there. I hope someone's writing down all these little bets we've been making over the summer series. Oh, I'm not going to forget that one. I'm really excited you took that. Barkov for sure. Like the question for me is who's going to score more points, Barkov or Ekblad? Yeah, well, I'm going with Bjugstad. So maybe I'm crazy. I don't think so. But okay, let's talk about some more exciting players. How about let's talk about a player who I think, back on defense, I think he's ranked... Also low, just like around the same level as like a Barkov, down at 194 is Jake Muzzin on LA. And this is a guy who had 41 points last year in 76 games. That's a really solid number of points for a fantasy defenseman. And, you know, his position's not going to get worse in LA. I could see why he was ranked lower last year when they thought Voinov would be ahead of him, but now it's just Dowdy and Muzzin. I don't see why he should do much worse. And when you look at the Yahoo rankings, defensemen above Jake Muzzin include Dion Phaneuf, Dan Boyle, Jacob Truba, Andre Sekera. I don't see any of those guys getting more points than Jake Muzzin, so I think he's definitely a guy you want to bump up and grab before one of your opponents does if you could get him so low in the draft. Yeah, those 41 points last year were really under the radar. 14 power play points is part of that, too. I think the thing with Muzzin is people are like, yeah, he's a good possession player on a good possession team, and the Kings are kind of a low-octane sort of offense. I don't know what voice I was doing there, but the (laughs) point is that Jake Muzzin is probably pretty good regardless of what team he plays for. Look at Drew Doughty. Ranked 52 by Yahoo. Yeah, and Muzzin's likely defensive partner. He put up 46 points last year, 37 the year before, and was on pace to crack 40 in the lockout shortened season. I can't wait till we can, like, lose the lockout shortened season from our rearview mirror. I'm so tired of saying that phrase. But back to the 
item at hand. Jake Muzzin is pretty good. He's going to be on that top pairing in LA in all likelihood. I don't see the new Christian Erhoff signing being anything that's going to push him out of there. He's going to get power play time. LA isn't a team that scores a lot of goals, but when they do, Jake Muzzin is going to have a decent chance of being in on a bunch of them. I like him higher than where you might think he belongs on your draft list. By the way, right around Muzzin on the list, so he's 194th overall, you've got Hampus Lindholm at 192 and James Wisniewski at 196. He has three defensemen in these like very low 100s, almost 200th overall spots that could conceivably get you 40 points and plenty of power play time. So keep an eye out for them and where they're falling during your draft. Yeah, I think obviously Wisniewski does a question mark after that rough end to last season. You know, I was really wondering if I could slide James Wisniewski into that without you having to like come back at me about it, which is totally valid. We've gone over him a bunch of times, but I thought I was going to get away with it there. <laughs> well, we'll see. And then a guy like Lindholm, you know, Vatnin's ahead of him. But in the interview you did with Corey Pronman, he said that he thinks Lindholm is far and away the guy who's going to end up being the top defenseman in Anaheim. So we'll see how that shakes out. I definitely think Muzzin of those three is the guy I'd want for next season, the less risky pick. And I'm just going to keep rhyming off some names that are interesting. If we keep looking down the rankings, we're going to pass Eric Johnson at 216. Might be a touch low. I think that's actually potentially very low, right? Like, sorry to derail you there, but Eric Johnson had 23 points in 47 games last year. So he had that long injury. But that would work out to a 40-point season if he were to have played all 82 games. Of course, Tyson Barry is maybe starting to really be the obvious number one point-getting defenseman on Colorado, and maybe that will drop Eric Johnson down. But I think Johnson's still the number two, and a guy that should be good for 35, at least 30 points, probably worth higher than like 200th pick, which would mean like not drafted at all. I think you want him as a defenseman on your team over whoever else would be you know, the last guy on the list. Yeah, my league, he was watch-listed for a lot of the season. He sort of bounced around a little bit, and I think injuries played a part in that, and he is one of those guys who's getting penalized in draft rankings for missing a chunk of the season. But let's keep going down. We pass Zdeno Chera at 222, and that might be like, I don't know what he was ranked last year, but that's got to be like one of the biggest drops on the entire list. I can't imagine he was anywhere near that low going into last season's draft rankings. But maybe it is somewhat deserved with just 20 points in 63 games last year. The guy's clearly lost a step, but he's still effective on the ice. And I still think he might see a fair share of power play time. So I don't know if it's reasonable for him to be that low, but I wonder if this is the year that Zdeno Chera is a free agent after a fantasy draft. It could happen. According to Yahoo, it's going to happen in a lot of more shallow leagues. Yeah, his hit counts are so good if your league counts those, and his shots on goal totals don't match those of like a 20-point defenseman, or maybe more like a 30-point guy if you were looking edit as part of an 82 game pace okay but the guy i've been really working my way down towards is michael del zotto i want to focus in on him he is ranked 302nd way off the radar i think people won't even know he's able to be drafted unless they're flyers fans or they have done their homework in mining the rankings list This is a guy who had 32 points in 64 games. He came back from really nowhere, which is where his career went after a really promising start. But then he was a half point per game player in a pretty key role in Philly, 
putting up pretty solid numbers across the board. And we talked about it as it was happening. And I remember like being like, okay, like his shooting percentage must be incredibly high or his teammates on ice shooting percentage is ridiculously high. Like there must be something going on here. And there really wasn't anything I found to suggest that what he was doing was undeserved. And Elon, for stretches of last season, he was like the hottest scoring defenseman. It wasn't just that he scored at a half point per game pace from the blue line. It's that he did it in a way that was up there with some of the better elite defensive scores that you already know and love. So Michael Delzato, I mean, I'm not saying he's up there as a guaranteed guy for sure, but all the way down that low on the list, that is a way that you can grab him really late in your draft without risking anything to get him. And there could be a pretty good payoff. Yeah, I'm kind of getting deja vu. I feel like we had this conversation at the start of the summer series when we did our players who had really surprising seasons. And I think Delzato was discussed there. And I think something that we might have said is that Mark Strait was the clear number one defenseman on Philadelphia. And, you know, he was on the top power play and just put up so many points. He had 52 points last season. But, you know, Mark Strait is 37 years old. At some point, the wheels are going to fall off. I'm not saying that's going to happen next season. But, you know, Michael Delzato might be able to even get a higher role as Mark Strait starts to decline. Yeah, and Strait had a fantastic season last year, especially at the start. And remember, I traded him away because I thought it would tail off, and then it didn't. I feel like he's a guy who can hold off father time a little bit better than some other NHLers. And I mean, he's proved that he's able to do that so far. But eventually, Elon, you're right. Somebody else is going to have to step into that role in Philly. And the candidates taking a quick peek at their depth chart are Andrew McDonald, which won't happen, I can guarantee you. Luke Shen, Radko Gudas, and Yevgeny Medvedev. So I think Michael Delzato is like the heir apparent to Mark Streit if he doesn't just pass him as things are already this season. All right, and before we close up the show, a couple more guys I wanted to talk about, Brian. Here's another guy like a Michael Delzato, someone ranked very, very low that I think could be in line for a nice season. Let's go to Columbus and talk about Boone Jenner. The guy's only 22 years old, and he was injured for a lot of last season, but when he did play, he did put up 17 points in 31 games, so a little bit over half point per game. You know, not turning too many heads, but definitely respectable. And when you look at Columbus's depth chart, I think he has a really good chance of being in the top six, playing potentially with Brandon Dubinsky and Scott Hartnell, if we assume the top line will be Johansson, Felino, and Sad. It's also not crazy to expect that Jenner might get himself on the top power play. All that to say, if he was able to be a half point per game guy last season coming off a big injury, maybe he can make that jump and get up to 50, 55 points in Columbus. And, you know, the where he's ranked is like to not even be drafted. Maybe he could be the kind of sleeper you grab right at the end of your draft. Yeah, he had some hype going into last season and this year. I don't think there's as much around him, although I think like dedicated pulleys still have their ears perk up a little bit when they hear his name he is just 46 points in 103 career games played though he hasn't shown a lot in terms of point production even though he does get top six ice time in fact his production and possession numbers are most similar to a third liner rather than the second liner that he's being deployed as and one problem with him was that he couldn't stay healthy last year But you wonder if that actually might be related to the number of hits he throws, which is substantial. He hits about three times per game, and that's been persistent over the course of his career, 
which puts him up there with the league leaders if he kept that pace over the course of an entire year. And Jenner is the type of player that I'd probably draft after Panarin, who we talked about earlier. And I said, well, you know, when do you draft Panarin because of his upside? I draft him before Jenner unless, of course, you're in a hits league. That is where Boone Jenner's value definitely lies, as a heavy hitter that can put up at least a half point per game. And in that case, he'd be a great guy to reach for before your draft is up, as someone who can toe the line through a half point per game season and make big single-handed contributions to another category and carry upside that could see him get to 50 points under the right circumstances. But if you're not in a hits league... You don't really have to bother with him, I don't think. There are plenty of guys that are similar to him in terms of point production that should be available to you later in your draft, and they'll probably have higher upside too. All right, Brian, you're so polite. Basically, you're saying, no way, you're totally wrong, but in such a nice way. So thank you for that. I don't know. I like Boone Jenner. I guess we'll see. I don't know if I'll draft him. Now, one Columbus guy that I would get a little more excited about. Now, this is a deep sleeper. Keep in mind, I'm not saying anything is going to happen. But if you keep looking way down the Yahoo rankings at 632nd overall, you'll find Columbus blue liner Ryan Murray who had his fair share of hype going into last season too. Unfortunately, he just couldn't stay healthy. He managed three points in 12 games with eight shots on goal last season. And that was like sort of the sophomore season. I don't know if you can count it. In his rookie season, though, he had 21 points in 66 games and showed promise. He was getting decent ice time too, over 18 minutes in his last couple games of the year and made his way onto the power play units as well. This is sort of like a guy that you're looking at in really deep leagues and probably watch listing in the rest, because keep in mind, you know, he is behind fantasy hockey superstar Jack Johnson on the Columbus depth chart in terms of getting those really prime opportunities. But I think he's a guy to watch, to just consider, maybe even just to get ready for next year. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, Brian thinks that I'm a bit too high on Jack Johnson. It's not like I think Jack Johnson is the greatest guy, but I think, you know, he proved himself last season to be a worthwhile guy to have on your fantasy roster. He ended the year with 40 points in 79 games, nothing to sneeze at. But Brian will sneeze and sneeze hard, so go ahead. I have one last guy I want to bring up to end this episode. Last year, around this time, when we were putting out our episode of the players that we thought had become the new elite players in the NHL... We mentioned this guy, Matt Duchesne on Colorado, and this was after he had put up two straight near point-per-game seasons. Of course, we've said it before, last season, you know, he fell off 55 points in 82 games. But does that warrant him falling to 76th overall in the Yahoo draft rankings? Like, guys right around Matt Duchesne include James Neal, Kyle Turris, Thomas Tatar... You know, great players for sure. But Matt Duchesne is a guy who we were thinking of as an elite guy. I think like maybe 76 might be too low. Maybe he's the type of guy you want to grab in like the third or fourth round of your pool and not in the seventh round like he would be here. Brian, what do you think? Well, when I think about Matt Duchesne, I've got to be honest, I feel like banging my head against a wall because of how much time I've spent thinking about him over the last couple years. And like you said, we talked about him as being on the verge of entering our elite group of fantasy producers going into last year, and then he went and laid an egg, and we had to talk about it all year on the show. Instead of near elite fantasy production, he was barely above pedestrian in every category. 20 goals, 55 points, 7 power play points, 200 shots on goal. Those are the definition of ho-hum 
fantasy numbers, and you can find those well outside the early rounds of your draft. So, like, I try to look back at the bigger picture for Matt Duchesne, and let's leave out his rookie season, whatever. Outside of that, he's had three very good years and two very average years. And the weird thing with him is that if you just looked at the numbers, like the underlying numbers and the rate stats, you wouldn't be able to really separate the good years from the bad years. The only thing that really made them stand apart is the rote point totals. The one place, though, where you do see a blemish in both of those poor years is in his power play time in different ways, mind you. So let's take a look at that first bad year in 2011-12. He saw an 80-minute drop in power play ice time. He had over 200 minutes the year before. He was down to about 130 in 2011-2012. And it's worth noting at this point that his power play time did go back up, but it never has reached those heights again that it did prior to that season. In the second bad season, his problem on the power play was his shooting percentage. He shot with just over 6% efficiency on the power play, which is lower than any even strength mark that he's ever registered. And it's normal to have inflated shooting percentages at 5-on-4 or 5-on-3, and Duchesne has had one himself for nearly his entire career, but last year's terrible power play shooting percentage probably contributed to him registering just seven power play points all season, which is really not what we expect from a near elite scorer. So we're hoping that the power play is where he's going to rebound. And with Ryan O'Reilly out of the picture, hopefully he's going to get a few more minutes to make things happen. One last point I want to make on Duchesne, and that is that his individual shot and shot attempt numbers remained really steady last season, but his team's overall share of shots and shot attempts when he was on the ice took a real tumble. So it looks like he was stuck chasing the puck more often than he ever had in his career to date, even though he was still putting the same number of pucks towards the net on an individual level. That is a team problem in all likelihood, and hopefully the bright minds in Colorado have spent some time this offseason figuring out how to fix that. Duchesne ranks in the top 50 forwards on most lists, and he definitely belongs there, but if you're looking for straight production, I honestly wouldn't be shy to take a chance on him about 10 or 20 spots higher at the first moment where you feel comfortable, maybe going a little bit off the list and taking a chance. Maybe he's the guy that you go with. But like I said, it's a risk, and the reason it might be a risk is that you might not actually need to grab him ahead of where he's ranked because a lot of pulleys are likely down on him after last year's brutality, and they're willing to let him slip and let you get him lower than maybe he should go. But as a pure point producer, I would make an argument that he's worth picking ahead of guys ranked above him like Bergeron, Turris, Bacchus, even Forsberg. I'd be drafting Matt Duchesne as a 60 or 65 point player with upside for 75 points, which is kind of a ridiculous range for somebody who has such a large body of work already in the NHL. But that upside to me nudges him ahead of other similarly rated players on your list who might be good for 60 or 65 points, but aren't going to get much more than that. Woo! Okay, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how I feel too. That was a long one. And now you can see like the torture that I've been going through. This has like been a whole off season thinking about Matt Duchesne and nothing has changed since I started thinking about it. We've had like three months of non-hockey and I feel like this is like my fourth take on Duchesne with the same data in front of me. So I'm getting it all out of my system. Matt Duchesne, please give me something more to work with very soon. 
I guess that goes to show just how excited we are for hockey to finally start so we could get some new numbers to talk about. And Matthew Shane is definitely a guy that I don't want to talk about anymore. I want to see what he does when the season actually starts. And I agree with you, Brian. I have high hopes. I think he can do it. But I just want to see it already. Okay, and this has been a huge show. We've covered a lot, and I know you're trying to close it out right now, but hey, I did my research, and I just want to rattle off a few more names. We're not going to go into detail, but I'm just going to tell you some other interesting parts of the ranking. So Ryan O'Reilly at 159th is a little suspect to me. And then if you get into the mid-200s, Alex Tange and Mathieu Perrault are both there, and I think you could probably push them a little higher Any regular listener of the show won't be surprised to hear that we think that way about Matthew Perot. As deep forward sleepers, along with Tara Vinen and I guess Pennerin as well, I'll also throw Sean Mathias at 441 out there. I know I'm really reaching with that one. And Sergei Plotnikov over at 7-Eleven, depending on where he fits in with Pittsburgh, although I don't think he's a guy you draft, unless you know he's starting in the top six in Pittsburgh, which really isn't worth much in the past few seasons anyway, as things shift there a lot. Andre Palat is ranked like 60 or 70 spots below Kucherov and Johnson. I guess goal scoring might be the reason for that, but I still like him a little closer. Brian Little is rated 91st overall, and I wonder if this is the year that Winnipeg Jets finally get the respect they deserve, like Little and Wheeler and Ladd, although Ladd is ranked pretty well. John Klingberg is rated 166th overall. I like him a little higher than that. And in terms of a few overrated players, what a downer way to end the show after getting excited about all these sleepers. But I would suggest that you don't draft players like David Backus, Ryan McDonough, and Andre Sekera as highly as they are ranked by default, by Yahoo, at least. Okay, to avoid ending the show on a downer, how about I'll throw out a couple of the other sleepers that I had on my list here. Let's just say Ryan Strom at 178 and David Pasternak at 179. Those might be guys who you could grab late in the draft and they might end up becoming stars on your roster. But okay, we have to end the show. I also want to point out, by the way, we were talking about Yahoo the whole time. That's not to say anything about Yahoo in terms of if we think they're better or worse as a platform. It's just we had to go with one and that seems to be the most popular one. But definitely, of course, thank you to Yahoo for providing this free fantasy hockey platform and these rankings, which gave us the content for our show. Brian, thanks for doing all this research. Listeners, thank you for listening. We really appreciate everyone who's tuned in during our summer series. I guess now we're in the preseason series. If you've enjoyed the show, do us a favor, head on over to iTunes, give us a five-star review. It does a lot to push us up the rankings and so people could find us when we search for fantasy hockey. If you really want to help the show, you could sign up to be a patron of Keeping Carlson, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. For just $5 a month, you get access to our patron-only Facebook group. You get to join our monthly patron casts, which are now on the great Spreecast. We had a really good time with our first Spreecast last month, and we're going to have another fun one coming up soon. Also, you get to join our Keeping Carlson patron-only Fantasy League, which we've, of course, been talking about all throughout the summer series. We're very excited about it. Sign-up deadline is September 15th, so it's not too late. You know what? Just go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron. You'll find all the information. Brian, I am done. Let's cue that outro music. And please read us the credits. Okay, this show was presented with research from Hockey Analysis, The Hockey News, Litterbox Cats, Own the Puck, Daily Faceoff, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Thanks, Brian. And I forgot to mention, we've got more goalies board coming up next week. You might have noticed we didn't talk much about goalies this week. We are going to make up for that next week. It'll be all goalies. Very excited. Okay, thanks, Brian. Good job. Talk to you next week. Next week it is. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Sun. <laughs>